Hello and welcome to Please Stay Psych, a mental health podcast that used to be hosted by three friends but is currently being maintained by one of them because the other two are fighting for their lives in med school. In this podcast, we talk about issues related to mental health that our culture is too shy to discuss, as well as things I've learned in therapy with yours truly, Justine Daniel. Hello everyone and welcome back to Please Say Psych. I am so sorry for the very long hiatus, but hopefully this time will be a bit more consistent. I can't believe the last episode was in February and now it's October. We're like two months away from 2023, but yeah, I mean, at least at least we're back. So if you heard the intro and didn't skip it, um, I'm currently alone. I'll be alone indefinitely on this podcast because Alex and China are too busy saving lives in med school. So they're currently working as clerks. Hooray! And I'm very proud of them. And yeah, that means more time in the hospital and less time for more important things like friendship. <laughs> but yeah, um, much of this year was really spent trying to figure out how to move forward without them because, you know, my dynamic with them is really nice. And I think the first three episodes show how good our conversation flows and doing it alone is very daunting it's very scary but in the spirit of character development and you know trying to be more comfortable doing things alone i just have to move forward on my own and it's not a bad thing it's just that you know i'm finally sharing to the world what it's like for me to talk to myself so it's 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 a very vulnerable it's a very vulnerable act you know but yeah, with all that said, hopefully they do come back. <laughs> but like now that I'm thinking about it, after they become clerks, they're gonna like become interns and they're gonna lose more time for personal stuff. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. Who knows? I could bring them back here. But for now, it's just gonna be me talking. <laughs> Man, and I hope that I'm able to maintain the momentum started by the first three episodes so yeah with all that said uh not only will i be discussing you know different topics under mental health i'll also be talking about things i've learned in therapy hooray so just to share i've been in therapy for a little over a year now i started last september 2021 and I've been seeing the same therapist for a year now. This is like my longest official relationship, you know, a year. And it's been really life-changing. I really do recommend therapy if you have the means and resources to find a a therapist, please do. Because like having a safe space, a safe space that's objective enough to not be influenced by the opinions of the people in your life it's it's such a good space to be at because you get to process things better and you're offered a different perspective. So future episodes will also include that. But if you're already interested in learning about my journey in therapy, I also have a newsletter on Substack. It's at justdanny.substack.com. Uh, I just usually write uh, every now and then. I try to write once a month, but because I've been preoccupied with a lot of things, uh, 
I haven't been writing as much and I've also written different types of entries, not just things I've learned in therapy. So yeah, just give it a follow if you're interested in that kind of content. So anyway, let's dive right into today's episode. So this topic was really inspired by one of my recent conversations with my closest friends. So I'm not gonna name drop. I'm not gonna like divulge personal information because like it's not my it's really not my story to tell but i'll just give you a general idea of the story so a friend of a friend is currently dating somebody who we will call mr nice guy and from the nickname itself you know where this is going so mr nice guy was really nice from the get-go like at the beginning he was super nice that my friend and I were like this is a very suspicious kind of nice and yeah you could say that my friend and I were influenced by our trauma with men our very negative views on heterosexual relationships and personal experiences even like seeing how the men in our lives are just not you know they're not good enough like in treating people properly which is sad um and we were like but you know it's too early to tell it's too early to judge this could just be a personal bias maybe you should like observe and i didn't hear much from my friend because that friend who was seeing mr nice guy is not my friend (laughs) and my friend is friends with her. Oh my god, this is so confusing. But I hope you can follow it without me giving people nicknames, pa. But yeah, basically, um, about a few days ago, this girl finally got into an argument with Mr. Nice Guy. And I'm not saying finally. I'm not saying finally like, yeah, finally, like... Now you know that men ain't shit. It's not like that kind of finally. It's not a condescending kind of finally. It's more like, finally, you're experiencing a part of a relationship that cannot be avoided. Like, it's an argument. And a lot of people, I feel like, are afraid of being in conflict. Mainly because, you know, we're not really taught how to navigate conflict properly. But the sad thing and like the sad thing really about this girl and mr nice guy is that he really showed a different side of himself like it was a very stark contrast between how he was acting in the beginning to how he was acting because he got triggered or he was upset and he said very awful things that i'm not gonna say here because like they were really awful and you know just to put it out there, it takes a lot to hurt me verbally because I have heard pretty awful things. Like, as a survivor of abuse, I've heard really awful things from my abuser. And that's given me thick skin. So, when I read their exchange, it was like, wow, this is mean. This is just, like, really mean. And I didn't want to be right. I didn't want to be right about my sentiments about Mr. Nice Guy. Like, I wanted to be wrong, you know? Because this girl, she had just gotten out of, like, 
a really long-term relationship. She thought she was going to marry this ex of hers, but turned out he didn't. She didn't. And Mr. Nice Guy comes along shortly after, and he fully understands the whole situation. And he showed so many green flags, you know? He was understanding. He was very supportive. He helped her in any way possible. And he communicated well. And, you know, these green flags are supposed to be flags. Like, it's supposed to be like, yeah, this guy is probably the one. 2.0, you know? But it's it's very heartbreaking to realize that people, and I don't want to say men because, you know, abuse doesn't really choose a gender. But, you know, people who are extremely nice at the beginning and then eventually when they get upset or angry, they just show the complete opposite. They do a complete 180, which is like very, very upsetting. And I was telling my friend that her friend is encountering like a very abusive guy. Like Mr. Nice Guy is showing signs, like very early signs of abuse. And while my friend and I were very understanding of her friend's situation and how abuse works, since both of us have survived abuse, both of us are in therapy, working on our stuff. And I think my friend and I have really grown emotionally together. We've both been open and vulnerable about our own issues. So we have a better communication style compared to our other friendships. And like, when I was talking with my friend, I kind of realized that not everybody has the awareness that we have when it comes to identifying abuse. Like, if it didn't, if my friend and I did not talk about abuse or like signs of it, her friend wouldn't have realized that. And I'm so glad that because of my conversation with my friend, she finally googled stuff like love bombing and gaslighting which were signs that were so obvious at the beginning that my friend and I noticed but we didn't really want to say anything because we weren't entirely sure but now that this guy has shown how angry he could get and how how threatening and intimidating he could be it was like wow like it was just like a different side that showed which is sad and hopefully um that friend figures out how to navigate things and i just wish her all the best even if i don't personally know her honestly like the only reason why we talked about her was because my friend and i usually talk about you know relationships and what green flags and red flags are just to help each other you know spot these things well and that leads me to my topic tonight today rather whatever whenever you're listening to this uh on abuse i would like to talk about it so just a little trigger warning i'll try not to be as uh graphic as possible in talking about things hopefully we become more technical in discussing it so I'll be talking about what an abusive relationship is, why people get into relationships like these and why they stay, and how we can help 
friends of ours who are in abusive relationships or how you can help yourself if you are ever in an abusive relationship. Okay, so we begin. We begin by defining abuse as a lack of balance in a relationship. One person has more control over the other. That's really the gist of what an abusive relationship is. There's a lack of balance and the other person who has more control takes advantage of that control to make sure that the other person who has less control over the relationship is able to do what person in control wants them to do. And there are many different types of abuse. You have physical, social, no, not not social. It's more of like psychological or mental, emotional, sexual abuse too. Uh, I think the most common form of abuse is physical, if I'm not mistaken. But again, it varies. And this is not only in like romantic relationships. This shows up even in like in families, among your peers, in the workplace. So I hope as you listen to this episode, you don't just think about your romantic prospects. You don't just think about the people you've dated. Look at all the relationships you have in your life. It's very important to see whether your relationships that are platonic or professional are healthy for you because it's not just about romantic love you know okay so there are different signs of abuse and after doing some research and really enduring some more flashbacks myself um i've compiled a short list of abusive behaviors because you know the specific examples are so many the crazy behaviors that manipulative narcissistic partners or people show they're crazy you know they're like so there are so many different ways but i'm just gonna give general descriptions just so that you can see where it falls under so first is that they are in a rush the pacing is really really off they're in a hurry to say i love you to be official and then the next thing you know it in two months time they want to move in with you or they want they say things like i want to get married blah 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 i remember uh i matched with this guy on bumble years ago and we were talking for like a day i mean it has it hadn't been even a day even and he was like you know i think i want i want you to be my girlfriend blah 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 and i was just like what what like of course you know from from that interaction alone i wouldn't say that he was abusive but eventually he showed his anger issues when i called him out on using the same pickup line on my other friend who he matched with too and it was just so funny how he reacted to us making fun of his lack of originality like dude it's not my fault you have no personality you know that you can't be creative why get mad at me you know Anyway, so being in a rush or wanting to speed things up with somebody can be a form of abuse. And looking at that symptom alone, it's like, why? Like, how how is that abusive? Well, apart from the fact that you need to look at other factors, it is when a person speeds things up that they're better able to control you. Because, you know, there's some people especially older people, I feel like, who are afraid of growing old alone 
that they settle that when they finally meet somebody after a long-term relationship who treats them nicely they become boyfriend and girlfriend after a week and then they move in in a month they get married within a year it works for some people sure but for a lot of people it's concerning but that sign alone i wouldn't say that it's abuse a god it's more of like this is a supplementary sign so yeah i should have started with that now that i said all that but anyway next is there's no respect for privacy the difference between an unhealthy relationship and an abusive relationship is that an unhealthy relationship struggles with boundaries like it's hard it's hard to set boundaries you know being able to tell somebody else that these are your limits that you're not going to you're not going to do this that you'd only rather do that blah 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 it's it's difficult communication is difficult but in unhealthy relationships it's a struggle that goes on until both parties learn to communicate it becomes abusive when these boundaries are violated constantly and the person who crosses that boundary all of the time has no remorse or they don't feel bad even if it upsets the other person and it's it's very important to to note that when there's an instance where people just continue to violate your boundaries that's just like dude you're being a doormat you're being a doormat now but it's it's hard it's hard to admit that when you're the doormat you're like no i guess you know i guess it's fine i guess if he wants to be intimate with me every night even if i'm not in the mood i should give it to him because he's like tired after a long day blah 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 like it's hard to acknowledge that because you don't want to fight when in reality it's not something that you want to give genuinely and that's something that you have to look out for because that's a very very i feel like that's a very subtle sign of abuse that people just brush off but yeah if anybody like forces you to do things and then they make you feel bad for not giving it to them especially if it's like sexual things that's that's abuse my friend that's abuse also i think girls are more guilty of this especially like like in heterosexual setups snooping snooping (laughs) i know women take pride in the fact that they're better than fbi agents in lurking but if you go through your partner's stuff go through your friend's stuff without their permission because there's something you want to know that's abusive you're taking advantage of the fact that they trust you and at the same time you don't trust them (laughs) right so uh, I noticed this as well in my parents. My mom was such a big snooper. Like, she snooped a lot. And she discovered so many things that when she got her feelings hurt from snooping, I was like, girl, I don't want to say you did this to yourself, but you you actively sought that information. You know? And while she does 
have the right to know the truth. It's better to know the truth by asking the person instead of like playing out this detective fantasy on your own and not respecting the privacy of the person you're in a relationship with. So yeah, that's another thing. Uh, third sign of abusive behavior is having unrealistic expectations. So this also includes double standards. So for example, if your partner wants you to dress a certain way or, or doesn't want you to dress in a certain way, they, they don't they don't want you to have like very revealing clothes. It doesn't apply to them. Like the rule doesn't apply to them. Or if they want you to just be hanging out with them on weekends, that doesn't apply to them if they're not in the mood. So, you know, it's very important to look at what expectations are being set in the relationship, what the other person wants from you, what they expect you to do or not do. Because the more you feel like, wow, am I is my partner a dictator? Or if you feel like, should they be saying these kinds of things to me? Like, am I supposed to allow them to say these kinds of things to me? Because when you f- when you ask these questions, it's very likely that your partner is probably abusive. Which leads me to my next point. And I feel like I should have started with this. It's controlling behavior. So again, we go back to the definition of an abusive relationship. It's a lack of balance and one person has more control over the other. And this person just takes... They just make really good use of this control that they have over you. They tell you what they want from you, what they don't want from you. And they're very good at guilt-tripping you. Like, if you don't follow what they want, they're going to withhold affection. They're going to punish you with, like, the silent treatment. Or they just straight up, you know, say very abusive things verbally. Sometimes they go as far as being physically abusive. So... Again, if they try to control, like, let's say what you do, how you dress, who you get to see, even, that's very a big sign of abuse. Like, especially if they start saying that they don't want you to be seeing certain people, that they don't want you to, to be hanging out with your family, that they don't like your friends, and they don't want you to be hanging out with your friends. That's abuse. Because abusers like to isolate their victims. And if you notice that you have a friend who you aren't seeing that often because their partner doesn't want them to be hanging out with people a lot you should be alarmed you should be alarmed because that's a big big sign that the partner is controlling abusive and manipulative so yeah i saved the last two uh signs mainly because people like to misuse these words and I don't like gatekeeping. You know, I'm I do the reverse of gatekeeping. Like if I'm I know certain things, I want you to know these things too. And I want you to know them properly. So these last two signs are gaslighting and love bombing. A lot of people think that gaslighting is just lying. It's a form of lying, but you can't say that lying and gaslighting are the exact same thing. They're totally different. Well, not totally, but like the, the the difference between the two are are there. Let's just say that. Okay, so the origin of gaslighting is it comes from this movie. No, this play turned movie from nineteen forty five called Gaslight, where the plot 
is about a couple that gets married and the man wants to steal the wife's jewelry or something like that. And he does that by manipulating his wife. He makes his wife doubt her own reality so that she goes insane and that he gets all her possessions to himself. And every time he would manipulate her, the gaslight, which is like the light from the before times where you just manually light it up, the gaslight would like dim. And that's when the woman would be like, yeah, the, the light the light is dimming. And he'd, he'd be like, no, they're not. So that's the main characteristic of gaslighting. If a person lies to you with the intention of making you doubt your own reality or doubt yourself. So a good example would be if you catch your partner cheating on you. Like, you didn't save screenshots. You just saw the chat. Like, you just looked when your partner was beside you and you see that they're talking to Longanisa Seller. And you're like, Longanisa Seller is a kabit nickname. You know? And you saw the exchange. Like, it was like, there was like baby and like, I love you. Stuff like that. So let's say you saw that. And you're sure you saw that. You have, you have sharp vision. You have sharp memory. You knew what you saw. And you try to confront your partner about it. And because you weren't able to save screenshots, they can't really deny it. Uh, they can't actually deny it. If you hear my dog, I'm sorry. But yeah, going back, you confront them about it and your, your partner is like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't have anybody named Longanisa Seller on my phone. You can go check my phone now. Like, it's not there. And they're going to be like, and you're going to be like, huh. And then they give you they give you their phone and you check if Longanisa Seller is there. And for some reason, they're not. Because, like, you know, they, they had enough time to delete it. Or it's probably a secret chat. And, you know, that is a form of gaslighting. You start to doubt. Like, did I really see that? Like, no, no, no. I'm sure I saw that. I saw Longanisa Seller. Longanisa Seller Fairview. It, it said that. But now you're like, am I still sure? So that's what gaslighting is. I hope that example is clear enough for people to stop using gaslighting as an alternative to lying. Because, yeah, both have dishonesty in them. But not all lies have the intention of making you doubt your own reality. Okay. And finally, we have love bombing. This goes hand in hand with the very first sign that I gave, which is like being in a rush for things. So love bombing is when somebody shows excessive signs of affection to you. Like the amount of affection that they shower you with is just very suspicious. Like at the beginning, it's such a fairy tale. Like it's so good. Like things are so good. Things are so well. It's such a honeymoon stage and you're just so in love and so infatuated with this person. But like afterwards... It just ends abruptly or they just start being mean out of nowhere. And love bombing usually I don't I'm not sure of its duration, but usually it lasts like maybe a couple of weeks or a few months at best. And when the love bombing ends, that's when the abuser can confuse the the victim. Like they they treat you very, very nicely. They treat you like you're their whole world 
But then the next day, it shuts off. And you're left to wonder. And it begins this whole push-pull dynamic where the victim starts to make excuses for the abuser because they're like, but no, they were nice at the beginning, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're not like this. They're they're more of like, you know, the love bombing part. So yeah, that's what love bombing is. And that's a very big, big early red flag in an abusive relationship because afterwards, they punish you by withholding all the affection that they gave at the beginning. So yeah, with all that said, there are so many different signs of abuse. And it's very important to have a discussion on what it really looks like how it manifests in relationships so that we get to avoid these kinds of things but moving on to the next question why then do people get into these kinds of relationships you know like if you know what a healthy relationship looks like why not go for that well there are so many reasons but i'll uh i'll summarize it into maybe four points but i just want to point out that There are people who were not fortunate enough to have grown up in good families or in good social environments that their idea of healthy is actually very dysfunctional. You know, if you're the type of person who likes chaos in a relationship, like you enjoy the chase and you get bored afterwards when things become steady and stable, it's very likely that, you know, you got used to chaos. Like maybe... Okay, maybe sure, your parents had a good relationship, but the media that you consumed was not healthy. Like, you idolized Belle and Edward from Twilight, when we all know that's like a very, very bad case of Stockholm Syndrome. Or you were a big fan of One More Chance, where it was a very, very abusive and toxic relationship. So, really, it's important to look at those kinds of things. And when you really notice the relationships in your life that you look up to you're gonna see how it affects the way you view relationships and how and what your idea of healthy and chaotic are because you know our ideas of what relationships are like they're very influenced by the people we're surrounded by so if you grew up in a chaotic place expect your definition of healthy to be somewhat chaotic too and to add to that um, we also have attachment issues. So, again, the caregiver that dealt with you in childhood, be it your parents, your grandparents, relatives, whoever, they get to dictate or that relationship that you first have significantly influences the way you navigate your relationships in the future because that's kind of like the most important one. So if your needs were met well, in childhood, from infancy to childhood, you're good. You're likely to develop a secure attachment. But if your caregiver was inconsistent, expect to develop an insecure attachment style. I think Shaina, Alex, and I talked about this in one of our previous episodes. Another thing, another reason, rather, why people stay in abusive relationships is because they have a scarcity mindset. So in psychology, we have what we call a growth mindset where a person believes that they can change for the better, that not not everything is set in stone and that, you know, if they want to change and they want to be better, there's a way around it. Like they can do something about it and they have like unlimited chances. 
However, the complete opposite of a growth mindset is a scarcity mindset. These are people are these people are afraid of running out. They're used to, you know, preserving the little awful thing that they have because they know they'll never have it good again. So victims of abuse and survivors of abuse are likely to have scarcity mindset because they're afraid that they might not find somebody who will stay with them again. Or, you know, if you stay in an abusive relationship for like years and you grow older, there's always going to be be this fear of what if I never find somebody for me again? And that's scary because it can happen. Like you can grow old alone. But at the same time, you know, it's this scarcity mindset that stops you from really exploring and giving yourself a chance to find something better and healthier. Another reason why people stay in abusive relationships is because they feel obligated. Of course, there are some people who are in abusive relationships where, you know, they're really in it for the long run. The abuse started, like, years after. Like, it started well, but then suddenly it got abusive due to different circumstances. And, you know, by that time, they've already, like, built a family. They've joined their assets together. One person is financially dependent on the other. And that makes leaving a lot harder. You know, if you're young and you're in a relationship, you're lucky because you're not completely tied down to your partner. Even if, like, let's say you're engaged, you're not tied down yet. It becomes a bigger challenge when, let's say, you have kids together, you have assets together. There are so many other things involved that may be hard to get out of. And that's why people stay. So, you know, I feel like it's too cruel to judge victims of abuse because you really never know what's going on between them. Like, no matter how much they open up to you, there there are things that they really will never share because it's too embarrassing or it's too shameful. And finally, uh, a reason why people stay in abusive relationships is because of what I call intent versus impact. So for those of us who are outside that relationship that's abusive, we see the impact of the abuse. We see its effects. Like, the way your friend rants about their abusive relationship, the way they say that they want something better, how they're not being treated properly, you see the impact. However, victims of abuse, they see the intent. And that's where the abuser has the upper hand because they can always manipulate their victims into thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm being controlling because I love you and I want what's best for you. And you know, because... Because you were love bombed at the beginning, you're gonna believe that you're you're gonna eat that up, you know. And what happens then is that they give the abuser a chance because of the intent. Yeah. And this just shows that intent doesn't equate to impact. Like just because you have good intentions doesn't mean it's like your actions are gonna be good too. So it's very important to really look at these things. And with all that said, you don't have to judge people who stay in abusive relationships because, again, you don't really know the whole story. This isn't really to tolerate those who stay. It's more of giving you perspective as to how complex it really is. Like There are people, women especially, who try to leave abusive relationships and they end up getting physically injured or worse. They get murdered. So, 
that's another thing to consider if you want somebody to leave a relationship. But again, with all that said, how then can we help people who are stuck in an abusive relationship? Or how can we help ourselves if we are ever in an abusive relationship? So for those of us who want to help our friends who are in an abusive relationship, you really can't force them to leave. I'm pretty sure they already know that the right answer is to leave. But some a lot of them are like just in denial that they have to because they're still hoping that their abuser would change, that things would change because it was good at some point. And people like to hold on to that. There's also this sunk cost fallacy where people think that something is more valuable because you spend you've spent like a lot of time with it already, even if the way they're being treated is pretty awful at this point. So there's so many things that keep a person from leaving. And you have to respect that. You don't have to force your friends to leave. And I know how frustrating it can get to talk to people who are in abusive relationships and hear the same old complaints over and over again. Because you're like, you know, you know that this keeps happening. Why haven't you left? And obviously the answer to that is because they're still holding on to the hope that they'll change that their abuser will change that things will go back to the way that they were even if it's kind of impossible you know an abuser will only change genuinely if they want to change but for as long as they benefit from the abuse that they're doing it's very likely that they won't and that's like one of the saddest truths about human behavior change only happens if they want to change and for those of us who still want to offer support you have to realize that One reason why it gets emotionally draining to support our friends who are stuck in abusive relationships is because of how we respond to them opening up. A lot of victims of abuse, they open up about their situation in the hopes of seeking emotional support, of having a safe space to open up about their issues, right? But some of us, we listen to respond instead of listening to understand, which is more important. And when you listen to respond, it really does get tiring, you know, constantly giving advice, giving solutions, even if they didn't ask for it. It's kind of your fault why you're tired because they never really asked for it in the first place. And one thing you have to realize is that victims of abuse already know what to do. They just don't have the strength to do it yet because of so many different factors, like the reasons I stated. And but one thing to consider is that when you want to empower or speed up the process of your friend leaving an abusive relationship provide as much emotional support as you can like i'm and of course do it at your own capacity don't offer all your time for them if you know you can't because that will lead to resentment but if you can offer support on most days do that because that will really help speed up the process of them getting out and yeah if you ever find yourself in an abusive relationship don't be afraid to open up to people about it there are people who are understanding and if i'm not mistaken i think you you can contact um i don't know who who can you contact like pnp has a women's help desk yeah if i remember it right they have a women's help desk where you can report um, cases of abuse but based on personal experience they're very inefficient like you're gonna spend hours there 
yeah, recounting what happened. You're gonna make a report about the abuse, and you know, because of how slow the system is and inefficient, it's just gonna be really frustrating that you're gonna be like, yeah, I wish I just opened up to my friends instead, because at least I'll have a shoulder to cry on. Because like in a police station, if you cry there, it's kind of like weird because you know you're so vulnerable, and at the same time, it's not the most comfortable place to cry in. So yeah. With all that said, uh, I hope this episode was helpful in identifying signs of abuse. If anyone is struggling, please reach out to the people that you trust the most. And yeah, see you all in the next episode. Hopefully, I get to upload more consistently. I'm really just trying to figure things out. Yeah. And I might open an advice column for this podcast. So if you're interested in that and you'd like to give it a try, like if you'd like for me to give advice on your specific situation and if you want like a psychological perspective to your situation, just email me at pleasesaic at gmail.com. If you have suggestions, comments for the podcast, you can email us there as well. And yeah, that wraps up my first episode without China and Alex. I hope you guys enjoyed. I'll see you all in the next episode, which will hopefully air next week. Goodbye.